Hello there, and welcome to KDL's Stump the Librarian podcast, where your friendly neighborhood librarians put their research skills to the test to answer questions from you, the listener, or your dad, your grocer, or your pet dragon. I'm Jill, and I'm here with Liz. Hi, Liz. Hi, Jill. We love answering your questions, so please send them to us at kdl.org forward slash stump or email us at stumpthelibrarian at kdl.org. We love to hear from you. We would love it if you followed the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. When you follow and like our podcast, more people can find us. All right, top of the pod question today. It relates to one of our questions we're talking about. If you didn't have to sleep, Liz, how would you spend those extra hours? That's a great question. I was thinking about it, and of course I would... Of- I would read a little bit, but not like the whole time. I was thinking I would try to learn like an instrument or some something that would keep my hands busy. Um, I would like to learn how to play the piano or the guitar or something, something like that. I think that's what I would use my extra time. And I would read too, but I think I would try to learn something new if I had that extra time. That's a that's a really good answer, Liz. And right right before we started, Liz said, don't say read books the whole time. But that's totally what I was going to say. I did read say that. That's the true. Whole time. I mean, you don't know what the, the stack next to my bedside table, it's, it's very high. So if I had those extra hours. That's a lot of hours. I know. I don't know that I actually could just sit and read for even three hours and just reading without stop, I probably couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've really been wanting to learn Spanish recently. Um, So maybe that's what I would have to do. Okay. I have to learn Spanish with my extra hours. And and read a little. And probably still a lot because that stack, it's like taunting me. I know. I know. Always. It's never ending and that's great. never ending. There's always more books. There is. (laughs) That's the joy of it. Oh, Jill, do you have our first question of the day? I do. And this question came from a listener. This is two times in a row where the listener has texted me the question. What? I know. And this one is is from my own daughter. Oh, she's (laughs) She's a listener. She is a listener. And she's coming up twice in this podcast. So I don't know if I maybe have to pay her royalties or something (laughs) for this one. Um, And she texted me this question. Mom, how are cotton candy grapes made? For your podcast. Oh, cute. <laughs> Isn't that cute? <laughs> so, yeah, uh, cotton candy grapes. I, I didn't even know what they were until she texted me that, and I had to look them up. Um, but before I answer this question specifically, how are cotton candy grapes made, we have to look at the big picture of plant breeding. I know. I didn't know that was a thing. I, it took me a long time to um, research and find the right terminology. Sure. So anytime you're looking in, um, especially um, like scientific articles or encyclopedias or anything, the right vocabulary helps to have those proper search terms. And that, that's actually something that I learned when I was going to school to be a librarian is how to find the right search terms, but it took me a while to find the right search terms for this question. And that is the, that is it plant breeding. Okay. So thanks for sharing. Yeah. So we're going to talk about what is plant breeding? Why do we do it? And how do we do it? And we're not going to talk about those things in real in depth because I'm not a botanist. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're going to just talk about it briefly. So I'm actually going to read you the definition of plant breeding. And this is directly from the United States department of agricultural website. 
and plant breeding is the science of maximizing plants' positive genetic traits to produce desirable effects. Okay. Okay, so what does that mean? (laughs) Scientists and farmers, both of them practice plant breeding, they select plants with the traits they want so that their baby plants have those traits. That's what that means. Sure. And how they do it, they do it uh, several different ways, but over many generations, over plant generations, if they keep selecting the plants that have the traits they want to make their baby plants, this creates the plant that, that they're looking for. And there are many reasons that people might want different traits in a plant. The Department of Agriculture does list several that are related to plants that we eat. So plant breeding produces more affordable prices for fruits and vegetables it, because there'll be more more apples on the tree, for example. It also produces more crops for animals to eat, so like more corn or hay or whatever it is that your animals are eating. And it can also mean less pollution from farming because if we're growing plants that are more resistant to bugs, we don't need to use as much pesticides. So those might be some reasons why you would do plant breeding. People also breed plants that we don't eat. Um, for example, people will breed flowers um, to have flowers that bloom longer or that are different colors or sizes or that are more resistant to disease or bugs. Roses is a good example of this. There's, there's a lot of uh, plant breeding in the rose community, mm-hmm. which is interesting. So plant breeding is, isn't new. Uh, You know, the terminology and the science behind it is new, but as uh, something that we do as a people, it's not new. As soon as people began farming, they began saving the seeds from their healthiest plants that produce the most food. That is actually the very simplest form of plant breeding, is just saving the seeds from the biggest and best plant for the next year. In the 1800s, scientists began to understand genetics. And actually, this is interesting, but they started to understand genetics by studying pea plants. Oh, sure. Yeah. Mm. So, and then after we started to understand genetics, scientists could look at specific traits that they wanted in plants and understand it genetically. There are so many different traits uh, to think about. So it's not simple. Mm. So we, we do, of course, want plants that produce as much fruit as possible, but we also want plants that are resistant to disease, to bugs, to drought. We also want plants that produce food that tastes good and that looks good and that's easy to eat. For example, a watermelon without seeds. Yeah. So there's all these different factors that scientists and farmers think about when they're breeding plants. So that's just a little bit of a tiny, tiny bit of the how and the why and the what. But now let's get to the cotton candy grapes. First, I've actually never tasted these. Have you, Liz? I have tried a cotton candy grape. Is it for you or is it not for you? Uh, I'm going to say nay. Not for you. Okay. <laughs> no. All right. No. Too too sweet. Is that? Too sweet. I like a, like a crunchy, like fresh tasting grape. And uh, these yeah. were just, they were very sweet. I get it. I understand why yeah. people like them, but just not for me. Yeah. I also like a tart grape, so I probably would also be on the nay side of these, but again, I've never tried them, and I feel like I need to after doing all this research. Um, So, you know, sometimes people think that they're artificially flavored, but that's actually not, not true. It's a real grape. They're a hybrid grape. 
that was developed by a fruit geneticist. This, that's a new terminology for me too, um, named David Kane. These cotton candy grapes are a hybrid of two grape varieties, a Concord grape variety and the princess grape. I, there are a lot of grape varieties. I just didn't even know that. I'm like, green grapes or red grapes? No, that's not it. There's lots and lots of grape varieties. Um, this particular Concord grape had that sweet cotton candy flavor, but it was really, really soft. It was not crisp. Um, that was not for eating as a table grape, but that is kind of like for mashing down into grape juice when they're soft like that and they have a thin skin. But the princess grape has a nice crisp uh, flavor for eating, just eating on, you know, off the table. And so when they cross-pollinated these two, the cotton candy grape was born. It had that more crisp and less uh, just soft, but the, that cotton candy super sweet flavor. So I made that sound really simple, but it actually wasn't simple. Um, the team that did all that cross-pollinating, they, they did it by hand, and they had to try a wide variety of different grape combinations to find that perfect cotton candy grape. David Kane, he first tried that super sweet Concord grape in 2001, and it took 10 years for their team um, doing trial and error with different grape combinations to find that sweet, sweet grape that you can buy in the store today. <laughs> fascinating. I know. So it sounds kind of like science fiction, right? To create a grape. Um, but crossbreeding like this actually happens in nature very slowly. It doesn't happen as fast when it just happens in nature. Um, you know, through cross-pollination because of bees going from one kind of grape to another and then a different kind of seed is um, grown the next year. But that, that happens very, very slowly when it happens that way. Farmers and scientists are using what they see happen in nature, and then they're just using science to speed up that, that, um, that process. And they're making, they're making selections for the best traits of plants to give us the strongest plants. And then, of course, they're varying in which factors are the most important for their area. Like here in Michigan, they might think, okay, we have a shorter growing season, so we need to choose plants that grow fast. And then they can um, select for that in our plants. Um, so this is really interesting, but just a fact about plant breeding. And this happened a long time ago because we've had these foods for a long time. But a long time ago, there was this hardy weed and farmers um, use that hardy weed and they uh, plant bred it with a bunch of different plants. And because of that hardy weed, we have broccoli, we have Brussels sprouts, we have kale, and we have collard greens. Those all came from the same wild weed. Wow. I know. Fascinating. I know. So there you go. That cotton candy grape is from plant intentional plant breeding. I learned a lot from you, Jenna. <laughs> Listen, I learned a lot. I, I'm, I'm linking a video in here. It isn't exactly about um, the cotton candy. It's not about the cotton candy grape at all, but it is about plant breeding and it's from Crash Course, which is one of my favorite YouTube channels because it, it takes some scientific principle and makes it understandable for the common person. <laughs> and it's a Crash Course botany lesson about plant breeding. Wow. So I'm linking that in the notes. I, I used just a little bit of information of that, but more it gave me a general knowledge and some vocabulary about botany. I, I don't have a green thumb, Liz, so I... <laughs> I'm Same. not really, really into botany. I just, I kill everything I yeah. try to plant. Yeah. Okay. Well, 
We'll all learn a little bit about plant botany through your video, Jill. Perfect. (laughs) So do you have a fact of the day for us, Liz? I do. We're going to switch gears a little bit here and talk about bones. Ooh. (laughs) Um, Do you know how many bones are in an adult human body? Do you know? I have no idea. Uh, 206 is the number of parts in an adult skeleton. Okay. However, fun fact, um, the number of parts in a newborn's baby skeleton is 300. Oh, that's a lot more bones. Yeah. The skeleton of a baby has more parts than that of an adult. Um, They're mostly made of soft material called cartilage, which is more flexible than bone. This makes it easier for the baby to be born. Over time, the cartilage turns to bone, and some of the smaller parts join together into larger bones. This reduces the number of bones in the body. Interesting. So that interesting fact about baby bones is from a book called Go Quiz Yourself on the Human Body. So it's in our JNF, our nonfiction, and it has lots of fascinating body facts. And then there's a quiz at the end of each section so you can test your knowledge. If you are someone, are you someone who likes to take quizzes? I love a quiz. (laughs) I think you should know that by now. I didn't give you any quizzes in that You didn't. I know. I'm a little disappointed. I know. I'll just have to go take this book home and quiz myself on the human body. If you're one who likes a quiz, you might want to check that book out. Quiz sounds great. All right. Are we on to our next question? Yeah, let's go. (laughs) Let's go. (laughs) So my question today is from Marie, who is eight years old, and she's from Ada, and she wonders, why do we need to sleep? I'm tired just thinking about why we need to sleep. Um, I know a lot of... (laughs) If only we didn't have to. I could read all night long. You could (laughs) learn a new language. I could. (laughs) Um, I know a lot of important things happen in our bodies when we sleep, but I didn't know just what. And let me tell you, there is so much information about what happens when we sleep and the different stages of sleep. So I'm going to, we're going to do a gloss over, but we're going to point out some important bits and pieces that you'll maybe learn something today. Sounds good. So sleep is when we take all of the stimulus from the day, the stimuli of the day, the things we learned, the people we met the experience we had, and allow the brain to sort it out. Brains are fascinating, let me tell you. Um, We sleep in four separate cycles during the night, and we can go through those cycles cycles several times. Um, One of the four stages of sleep is one you might have heard of before, REM sleep, REM sleep. It's rapid eye movement. So our body is still, but our eyes move rapidly under (laughs) our eyelids. And that's when we have vivid dreams in REM sleep. Scientists have observed animals in REM too. Have you ever seen one of your pets in REM sleep? I think so. Or heard them? Do they make, do you make noise during? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I've I've definitely heard them. My, my dog's tail thumps sometimes when she's sleeping and that's how you know they're dreaming. That's how scientists learned that animals dream as well. What do you think they dream about? Oh, I, whenever her tail's wagging, I think, oh, maybe she's dreaming about me. Oh. <laughs> I think my dog's dreaming about treats. But. Oh, okay, probably, yep. Um, 
cats, mice, horse, sheep, and even armadillos have been observed oh, in REM sleep. That's awesome. So, yeah, I think that is fascinating. What are they dreaming about? <laughs> Who knows? Like their brains are just working hard. Yep. Um, so sleep also is when our body works on repairing things that need it. It's when kids grow. It allows our body to rest and reset for the next day. Um, the cycles that we are awake and asleep during a 24-hour period are called our circadian rhythms. Humans are diurnal not nocturnal. So that means we're meant to be awake during the daytime when the sun is out. So it's important for our bodies and for those circadian rhythms to spend time outside during the day. It helps to regulate that circadian rhythm, which can be, it can be challenging in the wintertime. We don't see the sun as often and that can affect our sleep as well because Mm -hmm. we are not in the sun, but it's important to just be outside, even if it's just for a little while to maintain that rhythm of sleep and awake. Mm -hmm. Um, sleep is so important for our brains. Did you know, we're going to talk about naps a little bit here. Did you know that napping actually clears out a structure in the brain called the hippocampus, which is a short-term filing system in our brain? So when you nap, all that information is cleared out and sorted, and it's ready for new information. So should you take a nap after lunch? Yes. Uh, (laughs) yes. It's called a siesta in (laughs) Spanish-speaking countries. But if you did, it would allow your brain to clear out that section and be ready for more information to file away. Wow. I know. We should maybe power nap before we podcast. (laughs) We would be so smart. (laughs) Um, Emotions are better regulated after a nap as well, and sleep in general, but I'm... We're talking about naps at the moment. Um, Things that might upset you when you're tired seem less bothersome after you've slept a little while. Napping allows you to release and clear out emotions. It gives your brain a rest. And kids who don't get enough sleep have a tougher time concentrating in school, behaving appropriately, and performing tasks that are asked asked of them by adults and teachers. So not sleeping well or long enough makes everything tougher and a nap could really help you at school. Should you take a nap after lunch every day, even during school? Your brain would thank you if you did. So who needs the most sleep? We were just talking about babies. Babies, of course, need a lot of sleep. Um, Though infants, babies need to eat so often sleep comes in a lot of naps instead of a long night's sleep. And sometimes that takes a really long time. <laughs> 12 to 17 hours per day is what babies need for wow. sleep. But it's not all at one time. It's mm, no. here and there. Um, that number decreases as we get older. So school-age kids, like probably most of our listeners, need about 9 to 11 hours of sleep per day. So count the hours between when you go to bed and when you get up for school. Are you spending 9 to 11 hours in bed? Almost all of human growth hormones are released during deep sleep. And you can achieve deep sleep even during a nap in as little as an hour. But I think that we could all use a little nap during the day and we would be, we'd probably be entirely different people in the afternoon if we took a nap in the middle yeah, of the day. Took a nap. Our emotions would be more under control. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think, I think that we should look into that. But uh, yeah. how much sleep, we said how much sleep 
kids need, but it could also be genetic. Are you an early riser, Jill? Well, I am a forced early riser right now because of school, but no. No. I am a night owl. Okay. And you know, it's interesting that you say it's genetic because I would say my family is a family of night owls. Oh, see, well, that's chances are if you are an early riser or if you're a night owl, probably one of your parents were uh-huh. as well. Yeah. So although sleeping in on the weekends can be tempting or inevitable sometimes, it's really important to keep a sleep schedule every day of the week. It mm-hmm. helps you fall asleep more predictably and it helps you maintain your rhythm, circadian rhythm of the day, getting up at the same time. But like you said, it is dependent on your genetics too. Yeah. It's just how well you sleep in general. Do you have trouble falling asleep at night? No, I don't. Okay. No, but I I do like to stay up late. Okay. <laughs> um, I found a great book in the um, nonfiction section in our kids' nonfiction called How to Sleep Through the Night. And it's full of great things to try if you have trouble sleeping. And we Every person has trouble sleeping sometimes. Yes, it's that, part of true. being a human being. Babies, yep. kids, adults, everybody yep. has trouble sleeping sometimes. Uh, if you have ADHD, it's harder. Yeah, that's yeah, absolutely. I've seen that in my family. Do you have a particular method of falling asleep if you are awake during the night and you know you need to sleep? Do you have something that you do that helps you? Uh, read. You read. read okay. Book. Yeah. yeah. Get up mm-hmm. and read. Yep. Yeah. Um, I like to try to focus on a place that I've been and kind of imagine walking through it Mm. because that just helps me stop. I'm usually worrying about something. Me too. It helps me stop worrying and then focus on something else. So that is, it's one of the techniques that I saw in that book as well. Oh, that's Um, good. uh, Like writing things down, having a notepad by your bed can be helpful. Going screen free for the last hour before bed helps your brain relax. Yep. So that is really important, and it's hard for everybody, Um, taking slow, deep breaths or keeping a dream journal can be helpful in falling Mm -hmm. asleep, like thinking of other times where you've been asleep and you've had a vivid dream. Sometimes just writing about that will help calm you and Mm. give you a good night's sleep the night ahead. So. Do you feel calmer now? I feel very calm. Do you need a nap, yeah. Jill? I, I, I would love a nap. <laughs> oh, I brain, love a nap. Your brain would thank you. Oh, so that's a little that's bit about why we need to sleep. We grow. Our brain rests and resets and does all the things, and our body repairs itself when we're sleeping. So Wow. Take a nap if you can. It's really important. That that was really great information, and now I just want to. I know, them. like, oh, I could take a nap. nap. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna close my eyes for a second. <laughs> okay, here now we're gonna go to the ASMR portion of our podcast where we all will nap. I like it. <laughs> just okay. kidding. I'm gonna talk about an exciting book oh, that does not yay. lend itself to napping. No, but you might want to read it before bed just to. Go screen free for an hour. That's true. Except I audiobooked this one. So I don't like, that does not help me sleep if I'm listening. Right. Yeah. I have to read a paper book to fall asleep. What are you reading? So I I think I talked about this last time I talked about a book and I'm still on my quest to finish all of the youth core books. Did you know they just added more books? What am I going to do? I'm never going to finish them. (laughs) They refreshed and they are are collection development added more books. I know. It's exciting. It's exciting. So I haven't haven't printed out that new uh, list yet. So I'm just going to finish the one I have. Sure. Sure. (laughs) So 
I recently just listened to the book, Wings of Fire, the Dragonette Prophecy. Oh, that's a really popular series it right now. It is. It was really excellent as an audiobook. Okay. There was It was a good audiobook reader, and that really makes a difference. And the story kept me wanting to know what was happening the whole time. So I said I was going to talk about my daughter twice, and here it is. The series <laughs> is like her favorite. She has them all. She even has this really crazy sweatshirt that is like completely covered in dragons from this she loves this book series so much she's read the whole thing many times and according to her this first book is the most boring in the series and I thought it was exciting so if you want an exciting series here you go because this is exciting and uh, according to her the most boring in the series it gets more exciting from here okay um, I think the series would really appeal to any fantasy lovers. I did, I did not find it boring. It starts with five young dragons, and they're a part of a prophecy that will end the war that's against the seven dragon tribes in the dragon world. Each of these five dragons are from different dragon tribes, so they look different, and they have different powers, um, but they have been basically taken, and they're raised in safety um, to be able to fulfill this prophecy. But the safety of the cave that they're living in uh, also comes with a price. It's it's basically captivity that they're in. And at the, the beginning of the book, this isn't giving too much away because this happens really fast. They're like focused on trying to escape from this captivity. And they're trying to figure out how they're going to escape from their their captors who are training them to be fully grown dragons who are going to fulfill this prophecy. So it's really exciting how they escape. That whole thing is just really fun. And I was like, just at the edge of my seat, listening to this thing, figuring out how are they going to get out of here? And I knew they were going to, because I knew that was the whole premise of this first book, but I still couldn't see how they could possibly. And so that's really fun. I like it when you know what's going to happen, but it still feels fresh and exciting to you. Um, And then after they escape, I'm not going to talk about anything that happens because I don't want to give anything away, but it's just so much more than than you expect and they meet so many interesting characters and you start to see the factors in the war. You don't see all of those factors in this first book. They just kind of give you a hint at that, but you see some of the factors in, of this war between the dragons and you're starting to figure out what is happening here and how do these young dragonettes come into play to fulfill the prophecy. And the, the answer is not you do not know the answer at the end of this book because there's more. I finished this book and a lot of times I read one book in a, in a series and I think, okay, well, that was really great. I don't need to read anymore. Um, but um, I was like, hmm, I got to know what happened. So either I'm going to question my daughter and have her make her tell me everything or I might just have to finish this whole series. Yeah. The good news is, is that if you really like this book, there is a graphic novel version of it mm-hmm. and it is on my stack. And it's an audiobook too. And oh, the graphic novel is too. No, oh, no, oh, yes. I just, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep. It's an audiobook. It's a regular book. It's a graphic novel. It's everything. There are many ways to enjoy this series. Many ways to enjoy this series. <laughs> yes, the graphic novel is also in core, so it's on my stack. Mm-hmm. I wanted to read this version first. The book book. The book book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even though I, I have glanced at the graphic novel and the art is beautiful. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to that and seeing if the, how I picture the dragons matches up to how, how they're 
drawn. That's sure. why I wanted to read it first so I can yeah. picture them in my mind before I see how they're drawn. Nice. But they're they're really beautiful. The descriptions of the dragons are so cool and they all look so different and they have different powers and they're just fascinating. Sounds like it really lends itself to a graphic novel. It definitely does. Yeah, I think cool. it's really vibrant colors. Nice. So it's very exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. And I, I'm getting closer to finishing the core book, but the core books, well, not now, obviously. <laughs> oh. wah, wah. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but probably my next time we'll be recommending a book from the core collection too. So you better come and check out our core collection, uh, right? Yep. Always changing. Yeah. Always changing. <sighs> nice. Did oh I I guess we're already to the point in the show where we talk about what we learned today. That's crazy. Huh. How do, did that happen? Do Do you want to talk about what you learned? Yeah, today, yeah, Josh? I'll talk about what I learned today. Okay. Um, okay, I learned a lot about sleep. <laughs> Some of the things I knew already, mm-hmm. but a lot of things I didn't. Um, and I just I knew intuitively how I feel after a nap, but it was so great to have you confirm to me why those are important. Just clear enough. It reminded me of when you open your phone and you clear all the things that it is. Yeah. yeah. It's that's like a it's little, like. all those files just, yep. Whoosh, yep. That's, they that's make that really noise great. in your brain. <laughs> My brain makes that noise when I take a nap. So that felt great. And it's confirmation. And now anytime I need a nap, I'm going to be like, I just need to clear the just, browsers. Yeah. Hippocampus needs a clear out. Yeah. yeah. That was good. Yeah. Thanks for that confirmation. My pleasure. <laughs> um, I learned that the term fruit geneticist is a, a career path. Like that's an actual thing. I know. I didn't know. I, you know, there are so many career paths in agriculture that aren't just like a farmer working the land. Right. It's or a scientist. And, yeah. I mean, there's lots of scientists, but there that are, was yeah. a specific one that I learned about yeah. today. Well, there you go. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. All right. Well, I guess that is it for today. Thanks for all of your amazing questions and helping us to learn more about our world too. For more information or to send us your own question, head to kdl.org forward slash stump and tune in to the next episode where we answer even more of your questions. A huge and special thanks to the KDL Programming Department the KDL Marketing Department, and J.D. Delinsky for our intro and outro music. Thank you.